I'm Paula Simons, and this is Alberta Unbound. Not everyone I meet in my work as a senator understands, I think, just how multicultural a place Alberta is. But multiculturalism is baked deep into the history of our province. We are, after all, the traditional and enduring home to the Blackfoot, the Cree, the Dene, the Nakota Sioux, the Beaver, the Blood, the Métis Nation, and all the other Indigenous peoples for whom this was traditional territory. In the days of the fur trade, the first fur traders and voyageurs who came here were French, English, Scottish, Welsh, Irish, Norwegian, German, American, Black. And in our early pioneer days, when our first settlers came, they came not just from Europe, but from China, India, Japan, Syria, and Lebanon. I like to note that on my dad's side, my Jewish family has been settled in Alberta for more than a century. And Edmonton, where I live, is not so incidentally home to Canada's oldest mosque. But not everyone knows what a direct role the province of Alberta and the Premier of Alberta played in establishing multiculturalism as official Canadian government policy. And in 2021, not everyone has the same definition of multiculturalism or the same agreement about whether the term is still relevant to our political discourse today. Dr. Yasmin Abulaban is a professor of political science at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. She also holds the Canada Research Chair in the Politics of Citizenship and Human Rights. Here's my conversation with her, recorded, I should note, in late October of 2020, right after the news broke that Alberta's Curriculum Advisory Committee was recommending that Alberta's elementary students no longer learn about residential schools. That's the context for what you'll hear next. So I'm going to start by asking you a very difficult question. How do you define multiculturalism? Well, that's a great question, um, because I think whenever somebody uses the term, I look very carefully at what they're using it to describe and whether they're using it positively or not. Um, So that term multiculturalism was actually coined in Canada, so it's a Canadian word, but it's a word that's also gone global. Um, And so usually when people use it, they're using it to refer to um, basically three different things. Some use it just to refer to demography. So saying something like Canada is a multicultural country is a way of describing uh, the the population being diverse. Sometimes when people are using it, they're using it to refer to the actual policy of multiculturalism. So at the federal level in Canada, we've had a policy of multiculturalism since uh, 1971, so almost 50 years. Uh, Or or sometimes they're referring to policy at other levels of government. whether uh, provincial or municipal. So uh, for example, in Alberta right now, there's a ministry of culture, multiculturalism and the status of women. And then there are a lot of academics who use the term to capture uh, what could be called the ideal of cultural pluralism. Um, And that ideal of cultural pluralism holds that uh, groups can coexist and there can be an appreciation and respect for cultural diversity. But I, I, as I said, I really look at how people use the term because there are, for example, European politicians like uh, Angela Merkel in Germany. Multiculti, she called it. Or something like that. Yes. <laughs> um, or, you know, the other one was former uh, British Prime Minister David Cameron, who actually said multiculturalism. And, they, and they, they basically were saying multiculturalism has failed. And they're using it negatively to effectively say, say that they don't think immigrants in their own countries have, have done enough to integrate. 
So I, for me personally, and I also think for many Canadians, the term is positive. And it's basically a way of being Canadian. It's getting at the idea that um, our Canadian citizenship can be pluralistic so that we can be Canadian, uh, but also enjoy the benefits of our cultural heritage and also each other's cultural heritages in the plural. Now, I'm a ridiculously proud Albertan, and I have always somehow had the belief in my head that multiculturalism was in some ways a made in Alberta policy, something championed by the likes of Peter Saverin, Lawrence Decor, Horst Schmidt, and your own father, Baha Abu Leban. So is my version of history accurate or have I fallen victim to the myth of Alberta exceptionalism? Well, I think Alberta is a unique place. And I also think that it has been an exceptionally important place for the development of multiculturalism in Canada. Um, and, and also that Alberta's important place in the story of Canadian multiculturalism is uh, not really well known, um, but I also don't think it's a myth. So here's a really fun fact. Did you know that it was an Alberta premier who was a social credit premier that brought multiculturalism to the national stage. I did um, not know that. I, I uh, thought this was a Peter Lougheed thing. So this, this predates Lougheed. It predates Lougheed. So Harry Strom was Alberta's premier from 1968 to 71. So just before uh, Lougheed and the conservatives came to power. And uh, I think Premier Strom picked up something about the tenor of Alberta because um, uh, he, he brought it um, months before Trudeau ever announced a policy into uh, what was the Victoria Constitutional Conference held in 1971. And that was a conference where all the premiers and the prime minister were meeting. Um, and pre and um, Premier Strom pushed the idea of, of multiculturalism. And he did it to advance uh, Alberta's position as an equal partner in confederation. But he was also responding to the climate in Alberta of the 19. Uh, 60s and early 1970s. Uh, so you might uh, remember that uh, in response to the resurgence of nationalism in Quebec uh, back in 1963, the federal government of uh, Liberal Prime Minister Lester Pearson uh, formed the Royal Commission on Bilingualism and Biculturalism. And there were lots of people, uh, especially second and third generation Canadians, many of uh, Ukrainian descent, who were saying they felt uh, that defining Canada as a bicultural country really uh, did not capture their histories or their contributions. And it was out of this that the uh, idea of multiculturalism sprung uh, from civil society. Now, I mentioned your father when I was talking about sort of some of the godfathers of multiculturalism in Canada. Um, your dad was someone I used to interview quite often when I was a reporter at the Edmonton Journal. He was a professor of sociology and a founding director of the Prairie Metropolis Center for Research on Immigration, Integration, and Diversity. Can you tell me why he decided uh, that that was where he wanted to focus his research and to what extent his uh, academic research has influenced your own work? Well, I, I think my, my father was a sociologist, um, and so his um, early interests in sociology had to do with things like leadership and uh, what sociologists um, sometimes refer to as stratification, so looking at different uh, divisions in, in, in society. Um, and, um, and he did do work in the area of, of uh, multiculturalism. He was somebody um, who um, was a refugee and had um, immigrated to Canada. Um, and I, 
I don't um, see myself as uh, ever having tried to follow in my father's very large footsteps in terms of all the things that he did. Um, I, I'll also say that my my mother was also a professor of sociology, and um, I think for me, having a, a feminist mom who instilled a message um, of, of girl power um, was was really important for me and in, in imagining a range of possible professions. And so, um, at different points growing up, it included you know being an astronaut, being a doctor. Um, <laughs> So ultimately, when I went to university, I discovered political science, and that's where my training is in the department I work in at the University of Alberta. And of course, I was very aware of the work that my father had done um, and had lots of discussions with him over the years. But I think what um, attracted me to studying um, the, these questions was a, was a little bit different. Um, I had a lot of friends who were racialized minorities of the second and third generation in, in Canada um, who had had that very annoying experience of being asked, where do you come from? And um, even if they said Canada, people still pressing, well, really, where, where do you come from? Uh, I've had experiences like that too. And I became uh, really curious about the ways in which we didn't live up to our stated policies. So for example, um, by, by treating uh, refugees fleeing persecution as a threat. Um, and so my, my interests have really been around um, issues relating to citizenship and how we understand it, as well as human rights. And so uh, currently I hold a Canada research chair in the politics of citizenship and human rights at the University of Alberta. And that's reflective of those kinds of, of, of interests. So you've given me, I don't know if it's the perfect segue or the worst possible segue in the world to ask me where your family comes from. Um, you know, I, I like to think that superheroes need origin stories and that every Alberta family has an origin story. So at the risk of just stepping into the, into the, the, uh, the bear trap that you just left out for me, uh, can you tell me uh, how your family came to Alberta and why you decided to remain here? Um, okay, so I would say my, my family is diverse, just like Canada. Um, and uh, their journey to Canada represents multiple migrations, just like many others. So uh, my, my mother is American born of Scottish origin, and my father was a Palestinian refugee who was um, able to immigrate to the United States under uh, a special program uh, for Palestinian refugees um, in the early 1950s. And so my parents ultimately met as students in the US and they married in the late 50s, and then they came to Alberta uh, in the early 1960s because of, of job opportunities. And so I was born in Edmonton. Um, my son was born in uh, 2000 in Edmonton. Um, and he has even more diversity uh, because his father is French Canadian. Um, so, so I think in, in some ways my, my family is, is a microcosm of, of some of the diversity that we, we have in Canada. I haven't always lived in Alberta. Um, I, 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 I studied in Ontario, um, in, in Ottawa for many years. I've lived in the U.S. for a period, but I, I think for me, Alberta is really a place that feels like home, and so living here is, is really comfortable, and I love lots of things about Alberta from, um, you know, the sky and, and, the, and the kind of light you get from the sun uh, to the way even in uh, large urban centers like Edmonton, um, there's a very strong sense of, of community. It's interesting. When we did the first season of Alberta Unbound, uh, we had one of your colleagues from the university's uh, Department of Political Science, Jared Wesley, 
oh, yeah. uh, as one of our guests. And he does this exercise that you may know about where he asks people in sort of focus group settings to draw a picture of a typical Albertan. And he's endlessly amused by the fact that people tend to draw, you know, men in late middle age uh, with pickup trucks or horses. And he said, you know, it didn't matter that even if he asked, you know, a young woman of color, she would draw that kind of older farmer as her typical Albertan. And it got us into a whole discussion about what it means to be Albertan and whether people self-identify as Albertans. So, I mean, you've talked very passionately about your connection to this place. So do you self-identify as an Albertan? And what does that identity mean to you? Well, I, of course, I know my colleague, uh, Dr. Jess, Jared Wesley's work, and I think um, a, a lot of the drawings people do, you know, it's they, they imagine a, an Albertan having a Stetson, right? So somehow the Stetson is always involved in these um, images. Um, that's not the stereotyped Albertan image I identify with, but I do identify as an Albertan. And I think uh, for me, uh, particularly when I was studying and living in different parts of the country, like Ottawa, I felt like being an Albertan meant constantly having to educate other Canadians about our <laughs> diversity, yes. about the fact that not everyone is conservative uh, and that not every conservative is racist and exclusionary, about the fact that the University of Alberta is in Edmonton, not Calgary, um, and uh, even about our snow, right? That, you know, we have a dry snow. It's different than in other parts of the country that get snow. So it's a dry cold. That's what I told, that's what I tell myself as I, as I walking the dog this morning. It's a dry cold. Right. So, I mean, I think that's a reflection that, you know, you run into misunderstanding of others. But, I, you know, for me, I think um, being an Albertan is both a physical and a social experience. So I think that there is something about the big sky, about the way the sun comes from that sky that's really uplifting and palpable. And I think um, it almost feeds a, a, a kind of modern and open outlook. Um, that's been reflected in, in many of the developments in this province over time. Um, and, and secondly, I, I think it has to do with a, a, a sort of social dimension that's really about community. I mean, it's so um, interesting to me here in Edmonton that even in an urban context, um, you know, you're walking on the street and you run into a complete stranger and they say hello to you right? Or you're in uh, the grocery store and people chat with each other in, in lines. And I mean, the other thing that you can always, almost always count on here is that somebody is going to help you if you're in trouble, right? So if you, um, uh, well, I had this experience because for many years I, dr I drove a, a VW bug, which are very low to the ground and it would always get stuck in the snow. And the only reason I got away with driving that car for so long is that there were so many strangers that were you know fellow Albertans that you know helped me out of the snow when I got uh, got stuck so so those are the kinds of things that I think of when I think about Alberta. We decided to do a second season of Alberta Unbound in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests in the United States and in Canada right which I think um, prompted a lot of Canadians to become more sensitive to Canada's own anti-black uh, history of anti-black racism uh, and I'm wondering is anti-black racism and of course the anti-indigenous racism which uh, runs even deeper in the history of this country how overdue is this conversation in Alberta oh I, I think that this conversation is very very overdue 
um, in Alberta and here on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton. I mean, we need to have uh, conversations about the settler colonial past and presence of this province and the country. Uh, and we need to talk about anti-Indigenous racism. Um, it um, freaks me out that we have an education curriculum now being floated that wants to do away with mention of residential schools when that's because part. they're too. It's too sad. Because it's too sad, but that's because it's too sad. Of, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of history that's sad, and the reason we study it is because it's important. Yeah. Um, I, I heard. Uh, uh, one of your fellow senators uh, this morning who had headed the TRC speaking. Yes, Senator uh, Murray Sinclair. Senator Murray Sinclair, and he said, um, you know, we teach about World War I and World War II, and we teach about the Holocaust in ways that are age appropriate, and we can certainly do it with our own um, history of, of residential schools. So I think he's, he's uh, making a very good point there. Um, so I, so, um, and, and also the other thing to say is that the history of anti-Black racism also runs deep. So in the early 1900s, there were African Americans who, who came from Oklahoma to yes. Alberta to Homestead, and they encountered virulent forms of racism and exclusion. And, and we, we, we need to know this history because it is Alberta's history. Um, and we need to know about the more recent waves of, of Black immigrants and their contributions and challenges um, and, and the ways that they, may, they, they do continue to face racism and things like housing and policing and education and uh, employment. So I was really struck by the fact that so many people here broke out of uh, COVID-19 lockdown to support Black Lives Matters protests that were here in Alberta and here in Edmonton. And I think it really speaks to the fact that there is a, a tremendous appetite to better understand racism um, and, and to support anti-racism in ways that we've never done before. So I think this is really a moment to, to capitalize on, on this momentum because there's appetite for it. Yeah, and of course it goes hand in hand with the, with the countervail. Um, you know, I remember when I was a young journalist in the 1980s, I covered white supremacist movements in Alberta and the, you know, the, the Jim Keekstra hate speech trials. Right. And then that, that sort of seemed to, to uh, bubble down. Can you say bubble down? I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but it's, but we've seen an increase in white supremacist violence in Alberta, the likes of which we haven't really seen in 30 years. So how do we respond to this now? Yeah, you're, you're, you're right that there does also seem to be an increase um, in, in white supremacist violence. And this is a, a worrying trend, which is uh, not easy to resolve. Um, I think a response to it really needs to be um, multidimensional. I mean, obviously it involves uh, policing, but I think this challenge needs to be dealt with in um, educational institutions from K to 12 uh, and in universities in terms of research that's being done. Uh, we need the media to be responding. So the kinds of stories that you did on Jim Keekstra, we need the updates of those stories about what's happening now. Uh, we need political leaders who are going to seize the moment and work in relation to fostering an anti-racist agenda. And I, you know, I will say, I think right now we're really going through difficult times uh, in this province and there's a lot of unemployment and a lot of despair right now. And we need good governance and we need good policies. Um, this is a moment when it becomes very easy to blame um, or scapegoat people who look different or who, who are immigrants. And so I think all Albertans really need to resist this uh, danger. 
Um, I guess another thing I'd observe is, um, you know, I'm spending all of my days on Zoom now because of the pandemic and because at the University of Alberta, we're doing online teaching. And so I've now come to the conclusion that we're irrevocably digitalized. Um, and so social media, for example, is not going to go away. But I think we need better ways to deal with these platforms that don't uh, promote uh, division and, and, and racism. So these are uh, some of the elements of what a a response might look like to what we're seeing uh, in Alberta. So what do you think we have to do to live up to the promise of the multiculturalism that, you know, that, that blossomed in Alberta in the early 1970s? How do we, how do we live up to what we promised to our children and grandchildren? Well, you know, the promise of multiculturalism um, I think is really about that ideal of cultural pluralism that I was speaking about earlier. So it's about respect and, and equity for different groups. And there's never been steady progress on this. There are advances and sometimes there are retreats. Um, I think what so many Albertans uh, championed and worked for 50, 60 years ago is really a legacy to build on, recognizing uh, that we are a community and that this is really in our hands. Um, so today, I think the two big issues facing us have to do with reconciliation with Indigenous peoples and the reality of ongoing racism, whether we're talking about anti-Black racism, uh, anti-Indigenous racism, Islamophobia, or what sometimes is referred to as anti-Muslim racism, or anti-Semitism, which might also be referred to as anti-Jewish racism. So I think that the work done in putting in place multiculturalism in Alberta and in Canada, um, and heck, it's even in Section 27 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So all that work is really uh, important because it provides a, a basis for recognizing and valuing diverse groups and people and a platform to, to work on the contemporary challenges that face us um, both in the province and in the country. Thank you so much for this conversation. This has been delightful and enlightening. And, you know, it, it's, it's very rare that we hear people speaking out in defense of Harry Strom, or at least not in defense of him, but celebrating what he achieved. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing your family story with us. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Senator Simons. I, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate um, the way that you're doing this Alberta Unbound. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, really a, a great addition to, um, to our offerings. Thank you again to Dr. Yasmin Abu-Laban. And thank you again to you for listening and for being part of Alberta Unbound. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please share our links on social media. And if Sober Second Thought inspires you, leave a review. Let's try to draw some more people into this conversation. Alberta Unbound is edited and produced by Ame Charnalia. I'm Paula Simons. Stay well, stay safe, and stay tuned for the next episode of Alberta Unbound.